Welcome to Kol Isha, the podcast that gives Orthodox women a voice. Welcome back to Kol Isha. So this week's topic is really exciting to me because it applies to literally everybody. And that is the topic of money management and how to avoid going into debt and what to do if, God forbid, you get into debt and basically just like how to manage your finances, particularly for from families, because as everybody knows, there's very specific, unique needs that from families have. And sometimes it can cause a lot of financial strain and just a whole different niche when it comes to managing money. So to cover this topic, I invited Khani Friedman. Khani is a mom of four and a wife, and she lives in Clifton, New Jersey. And her primary job is budgeting um, when it comes to services for families of children with special needs. And that sort of got her into interest in budgeting in general. Um, and so Khani trained with the Dave Ramsey course and Nasila, which is an organization that is very focused on um, helping from families budget and manage their income and their money. And so Hani has now been helping other families um, with their money management as well. So I'm really, really happy to have her join me. Welcome, Hani. Thank you. Happy to be here. So Hani, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Like, why did you get into this field? Um, how did you sort of start helping other families and, you know, a little bit about what your experience has been like so far in this area? Yeah, so it's interesting. It wasn't the straight path. I'm not for someone that likes to do like the straight path. I wasn't going to do speech therapy. I wasn't going to do OT. I was like, what am I going to do with myself, you know, starting out? And I tried a whole bunch of different things. I think I had a list of about 30 professions that I was like, each time I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. I like this idea. And I had all my reasons and this is for me. And, you know, each one didn't really happen for one reason or another. And um, I came across a CFP course, which is more investing. And I was like, wait, this is cool. Like, this is investing. But what about planning, like, on a basic level? Like, budgeting, which is so fundamental. But I don't know that people really do it. And I'm a really calculated, like, the husband planned out type of person. So it was kind of my own idea, just like I didn't want to go in the box with OT. Like, I also wanted to go out of the box with like what I wanted to do for my future. So, so I thought it was really cool. And I started to look for courses and there wasn't really so many at the time. There's more now. And I came across the Dave Ramsey course and I was really excited about it. And I read books and I, you know, I'm into budgeting. <laughs> so I decided to take the course. It was in Nashville. He's located in Nashville. I'm pretty sure. So I was actually pregnant with my twins at that point. And I was all nervous because I was like, oh, no, they're never going to let me fly there. <laughs> and I really want to take this course. So, um, but they did let me fly there. And I went and I was the big pregnant lady in the room. And, um, and I took it and I, it was really fun. And I learned a ton of stuff and it was cool. And then I just started to work with different people. You know, you try to get the word out by working with friends. Like, that's kind of how it worked for me. I started to sit with friends. They would ask me questions. Oh, let me pay you for this. No, I don't want you to pay me for this. I want the experience. So. And then that was just how I started. Wow, that's really cool. So did you take the course with Dave Ramsey himself? He wasn't, he came, he makes an appearance, you know, <laughs> but his daughter did some of the speech. I mean, if you're familiar with his, his whole culture, his daughter is part of his business and he's got all these 
charismatic speakers, so they do it. And he has his coaches that are trained to do this. They do. They did most of the trainings. They have training books. They have. Um, they had all different people that that were that did different segments of the training. So Dave Ramsey might be a familiar name to a lot of people. Um, he's somebody who um, has developed this sort of lifestyle when it comes to ma uh, money management. But I imagine that his course is deal is uh, geared more towards the general public, and probably not towards the firm right. community. So right. I guess my question is, you know, when it comes to learning um, a technique or a sort of uh, course like that, how did you then adapt it towards the unique needs of the from community? Because, and I'm sure you can speak to this much better than me, but there obviously are unique needs like, you know, yeshiva tuitions and all these other kind of things, kosher food. So what have you found to be the differences in the from community and how have you sort of taken his method and adapted it? And then, you know, also what is sort of his method that you teach other people? Right. His fundamental, his, his basic baseline message is to avoid debt at all costs. And he has a path, he has a path of, if you follow this, you're going to be, you know, get rich, basically, you know, follow his steps, his seven baby steps, and you can, and you can do this. Now, in the firm world, the difference is it's much, much, much harder to keep to those steps because we have so many expenses and, you know, some people have more income than others and, and some things are not negotiable. For him, it's like, okay, eat beans and rice, you know, eat very little, eat, you know, but kosher food is expensive and that's not negotiable and tuition is not negotiable. They don't have to go to a fancy college. He's not an advocate of expensive colleges. He doesn't even, you know, feel that college is even necessary. <laughs> um, to a certain extent. So um, a lot of the stuff, you just have to look at it and then knowing, knowing that I live in a firm world, although I know that it has to be adapted. And I also know that unfortunately some people just struggle because it really is a struggle for a lot of people to keep up in our world. And then the other thing is like certain people like outside of the firm world might factor in like how many kids are they going to have if I can afford another baby you know that's a mentality that's very different in the firm world so like right. you know someone might have more kids they can afford but in the firm world that's very different you know right there's a higher level that we you know we have a higher level with trusting in God I mean Ramsey's actually very religious but he also holds that going into debt is is completely what's the word, like sacrilegious, <laughs> totally wrong, you know, going into that is the worst thing you could possibly do. So in the firm world, you know, I guess that's the sh a Shiloh for a higher power, but, but, um, right, we definitely have more children than they do. And for them, it would probably be a major calculation in terms of having more children of, of whether or not they can afford it. Okay, so basically, it sounds like his method is all about prevention, right? Like just well, right. So, I mean, there's definitely prevention if you know about it beforehand, but you no, know, he has a lot about getting rid of that. You know, he has, they has a radio show and they bring people on the radio show and they have people who have conquered their debt and they tell their story. And then they have what's called the debt free scream, which is then they scream, they tell their story and then they scream, I'm debt free. You know, it's like they're <laughs> big, it's like, it's like their big celebration of hitting the zero, you know? So, um, no, he's got a whole method to conquering as that also, you know, and it has to be manageable. And I think in the non-firm world, a lot of these stories that I look at, they probably are much more manageable than our, in our world because they can cut down on things like selling their pickup truck. 
you know, <laughs> and they just, they, they're able to cut down because they, let's say they have two kids and they're sending to public school and they're both working. It's not, it's more a matter of, of sacrificing the things that you want and the luxuries. Now, I won't say that for everybody. Probably there are those that really work the extra job and had to do the night shift and had to deliver pizzas and all those types of things. Um, and they also probably have more debt because they do more expensive colleges. A lot of them, you know, it's just a different world. <laughs> it's a totally well, different yeah, world. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, like you said, for a lot of people outside of the firm world, you know, if they're two, a two-income household, there's a lot of expenses that they don't have that we do have. And maybe it's more like doing away with luxuries that will help them get out of debt versus for us many, many people can't even afford the bare minimum because for us, the bare minimum would be considered a luxury by others like private schools, right? Or right. like making yuntif, right? And, you know, outfitting 10 children or whatever, you know, a lot of from families might have, like a lot of kids that need to have clothing, right? They don't necessarily have to be fancy clothing, but they need clothing, right? So there's, obviously there's different approaches. Like, I know someone personally I'm close with who has a, a policy. She says, I don't pay for clothing. And she is very, very willing to accept other people's hand-me-downs. And Baruch Hashem, you know, there's a lot of affluence in our community as, as well. And a lot of people want to give stuff away. And she's just always on the hunt for bags of clothing that people are willing to give her. And she takes them and she washes them and her kids wear them. And that's the end of the story. But that's for sure a rarity. Like the vast majority of people I know buy their kids new clothes. You know what I mean? So like if you're going to buy your kids clothes and you have five or 10 kids, that's very different than, you know, and then if you have girls and you have to buy them Sia's clothes and you can't just buy them $5 shorts at Target, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, there are certain basics for us that might be considered luxuries to others. Right. I mean, I think that it's possible that even in the firm world, people could tone down their basics tremendously. Um, but, but to a certain extent, it's, it gets very difficult. I mean, it's, you're gonna, how frugal are you going to be? And um, when it comes down to it, some of those basics are really basic for most of us. So it makes it much harder to cut down as opposed to right, buying the shorts at Target. It's just not, that's just not happening. You know, that's something they can do that we can't. You know, it's interesting, in my special needs planning, there is a, there's an area of the budget where a family can put in for clothing for their child, but only when the child's 18 or over. And the maximum they're allowed to spend on it is $250 a year. And even the non-Jews laugh. <laughs> they're like, what, $250 on clothing? Um, for one year, you know, it's not, it's not enough. The fact is, is that these things cost money, even, even in their world. So you mentioned that in addition to the Dave Ramsey training, you've also done Mesila training. Now, so that's a little bit different because that's very much geared towards a from community. It's an organization that's created by from people and run by from people. So um, what are some of the, the principles of the Mesila organization that you use um, to help people budget in the from community that's maybe a little different than Dave Ramsey or more specific to, to our needs? So it's interesting because what the Mesila program focused on helping people realize that they have a problem and um, a very specific method towards achieving that goal. It wasn't necessarily like this is different about our community, so we're going to do it differently. It was a very specific method of helping people recognize their recognize their the details of their budget and then a method towards helping them work through it to get out of it. It don't, I don't think it was specifically 
it was Jewish geared because it is geared towards the from community, but it it was it's just it's a very specific method, more more like a coaching skill that they were teaching. That this is their method, it's a six part process and this is how we go from A to Z. People do have to come to it themselves or they're not gonna do it just because I tell them to. The family, once the family realizes this is what they need to do and they have come to it themselves, then they can make a plan. And then what they are willing to come up with, what they can do, you know, each, let's say each spouse, what they are able to do to contribute towards that. Interesting. So, you know, you mentioned like they, they have to come, like the family has to come to the realization that they really need help before they, you know, will be willing to accept that help. It sounds almost like people are coming in once they've sort of like hit rock bottom. And at that point, it must be very hard to then get out of that situation. Um, I, I've seen a lot of that. I see people, not necessarily rock bottom, but really struggling, really, really struggling. And they, Masila is starting with a curriculum I, I saw a while ago about training, training um, like a high school curriculum or something, or maybe even younger than that, which I think is amazing. I didn't learn this stuff in high school. You know, um, I'm thinking about trying to teach it in high school maybe, but they didn't, they, I didn't learn this stuff growing up. I'm actually learning from my parents. So, Ramsey, Steve Ramsey, if you read his book, you've learned the principles, you can do this in the beginning. Honestly, I feel like if you're, even if you're young and from, if you learn his principles from the beginning, you will be for sure in a better place than you would be otherwise, even though it's a more expensive world to live in. Also, it helps frame your mindset of your spending and everything as you, as you, you know, as your family grows. So, yeah, I mean, that makes a ton of sense, right? Like, it's like, the prevention or the proactive measure, right? right? Like, obviously, if you never get into debt, you'll have a much easier time than crawling out of debt, which is like a very hard thing for a lot of people to do. People, people go into debt, even with hundreds, even with their income is very, very high, right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they can still be in debt. So the planning really applies to everybody, just because again, without the planning, you might think you have tons of money. And you are spending it all, and you might have a lot of money, and you do have the liberty to spend it all, except that if you don't have a plan, if, if you can go in the, into debt the same way that anybody else does. So I try to work with those people too, because I, I do like to work with people who have, who do have income. They're both husband and wife. They're making nice incomes and they're like, where's our money going? You know, but they, they're actually the easiest to work with because they have the money. It's just a question of helping them to see where their money is going and then helping them make a plan. And then it comes to also, taking personal responsibility for behaviors and being willing to cut back on things that feel like necessities. Another thing we didn't mention is needs versus wants. I found a very cute comic strip and it shows somebody sitting, shows like somebody sitting like huddled up in a cave and says like then, you know, necessities were, basics were, you know, food, shelter, water, clothing. And then it shows now and it shows him with a laptop and it says like, internet (laughs) (laughs) like like now like it's our just our priorities have changed so much and i think that is very important also when a couple is evaluating their evaluating their expenses and making their business plan so to speak to really take a look at what are their needs and what are their wants and trying to build the wants in when they can but what's really a want you know what's really not a need Unfortunately, if it comes down to having to really pull out what's not a necessity, then I have to do that. But then, you know, things that we really, really, really want, they feel like it needs us, but can 
can we do without that if we have to? So what are some of the cases that you've seen when people come and ask for your help? Where do you typically see like that people have gone wrong? Um, is it just like not understanding their consequences or is there like a specific area that people tend to struggle in more? Like what's sort of been your experience? I mean, I think maybe poor planning. You know, I do think that the, the things you do in the beginning affect what's going to be later on, right? So if you buy a house that you can't afford, you think you can afford it because you can put a down payment, but the fact is the monthlies are too expensive. This is somebody spoke to recently. They can't, the monthlies are a lot of money. They can't really do it. And if they were renting something less expensive, they would be okay, you know? Um, or, you know, I worked with a couple that they went to Israel, but they really couldn't afford it. They had no support. So they blew through all their wedding money and then they came home and they were in tons of debt and then they came home and they lived somewhere far out because they needed to, they needed somewhere cheap, <laughs> you know? So they, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's the not, I think it's the not having a foresight, not having, and I'm not even blaming them. You know what I'm saying? There's a lack of education. There's a lack of awareness. And when you don't have, and when you don't have any sort of knowledge, then it really isn't your fault, right? I know of another couple that went to Israel and they did, they used up all their savings. They, they were having a good time. They went out to eat. They just, I don't know, went on trips. <laughs> and I'm not saying those things are bad, but there was no planning. There was no thinking involved. They probably did not learn anything about managing money before they set off on their chavaya. And, and then when it came down to it, they came home. They didn't go back. And they don't have the savings that they had when they started. Now, it could be a conscious choice, right? Like if a couple decides they're going to do this and this is, this is how they want to spend their money right? Or even if they're not going out to eat, but they're not getting support, but they want to take their spending, their, let's say their savings and spend it because they feel this is valuable. So that's one thing, right? It's called being intentional. You want to be intentional with your money. And if you have no background knowledge, you can't even get to that, get to intentionality. So it sounds like, you know, the background knowledge is really the key because to think that as a community, we encourage our kids to get married quite young, um, very often before they've held down a real job um, or, you know, a real meaningful job. Sometimes they're still in school, you know, or, you know, just doing like, you know, a nine to five secretarial slash teacher's assistant kind of thing where it's like, you know, bare bones kind of income. Um, and then they're to get married and like you said, either move halfway across the world or even live locally with some parental support or whatever it is. But there isn't that in a lot of cases, sounds like there isn't that education on money management. That sounds like a key factor here. Cause how are you expecting right. a 19 year old and a 22 year old to be able to budget responsibly as it is they're very young and not, you know, super um, mature in a lot of cases, but then like without the education and they're expected to do this well, you know? Right. I mean, there's no education for, I won't say everybody, right? A lot of people have no education and there's also a social pressure, you know, to keep up with everything that all your friends are doing for a lot of people, whether it's the fancy strollers or the fancy car, all those things that you're young and this is new and exciting, you know, and I have, and I have, a, I have a bank account. And even if people are not, even if they're not spending their savings, right, they're not spending their savings, they're not going to debt, there's still a place for being intentional with your money because, First of all, you could be saving money, right? And second of all, it's, it's a skill that will help you as things get, you know, as you get older, as things become more expensive and 
if you haven't been doing it all along, it could suddenly like totally surprise you, right? Suddenly, suddenly you don't know where all your money's going. Everything was fine before, and now the bank account's looking really low, you know? Yeah, and then it's not a, it's not too far from crossing that line into debt, especially you know, like you said, when it comes to self control um, regarding things like trying to keep up and make an appearance and buy fancy things that other people have. So like realistically speaking, you know, we do have those expenses we talked about earlier for the vast majority of from people, yeshiva tuition is, is not negotiable. Like they're going to send their kids to yeshiva public school is not an option, right? Yuntif comes several times a year. Um, people have big families, whatever the case may be. So like realistically speaking for a from household, where are place, like what are some of the places that people can cut back on expenses and or sort of focus on like lessening their debt if they have debt at this point? So I think food is a big expense in our community. Now we all see, but there's a level of what type of food we're buying, right? So there's meat during the week. Again, some people will feel this is so extreme, right? Meat or chicken during the week, okay, we have to feed our kids. It's true. Could we do, let's say, a mixed grind versus the 100% beef, you know, for hamburgers or for um, meatballs or things like that, or just, or like cutting down the takeout, the sushi, frozen fish versus fresh fish. Um, dips on Shabbos to me is amazing because dips are like five bucks each, right? something like that. And people have a lot of them at their table. And even, again, even when you're young, when you're old, you know, how much of that do we really need? Oh, I just want to I mention, by the way, well, that they have these fabulous dips at Trader Joe's that are like two and a half dollars. And I was so <laughs> excited when I found them because I was like, these are like legitimate dips, but they're so cheap. <laughs> so like I bought a whole bunch of them. So that's a tip for anybody who wants to know. <laughs> So it's awesome. So that, so well, can I, can I just interject on that for a second? But when we buy something, even when it's cheap, we're still spending money. Right. That's true too. Right. Right. So I guess if you're going to buy it anyways, because you have to have your shop, it's great. But if you weren't going to buy any dips and now you found them and they're cheap, then you just spend money. It's, right. Right. <laughs> Right. So like if you've gotten yourself to the point where you've cut out dips completely, then don't go to the right. dips at Trader Joe's because you're still spending right. $2. Exactly. Right. And sales only saving you money if you were, if you were going to buy it anyways, otherwise it's costing you money. Feels right. Good, so yeah, that's actually, it's a really great example, but it's actually a really interesting principle because like how many times do we walk into a store and like, oh my gosh, Costco is my best friend, but my worst enemy because you go in there thinking you're going to save all this money buying bulk, but then you wind up like walking out with new patio furniture and you're like, wait, what just happened? You know? Right. It's so true. It's really true. I think Costco has it's us really all true. duped, but I actually, I came across this website once of this woman who does um, budgeting as a sort of career thing. Cause she actually, she doesn't work full time because she got herself so financially secure that she doesn't need to work full time. Um, and so she kind of does this as a hobby slash probably makes money off of it somehow because she has like this whole blog and a following. So it's really interesting. She's not a Jewish woman. So obviously her expenses are very different than ours. So you have to sort of adapt for that. But she talks a lot about the different areas where you can cut. Um, and she has a lot of interesting tips and she talks all the time about how 
she is willing to freeze virtually anything. So if something is on a really good sale, she will buy it and she will buy a lot of it and she'll put it in the freezer. Um, and you know, then they'll take it out when, whenever they need it. And so that way she winds up spending a ton of money. Cause when she goes grocery shopping, her mindset is not, what do I need this week? Um, or right now, but rather what's on sale. And so pretty much then she takes whatever is on sale home and goes shopping in her basement and her freezer mm -hmm. from all the other things she's accumulated over her other weeks of shopping, you know, that she's been able to stock up on. So I thought that was a really cool tip. Right. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of buying and freezing with things that are on sale. Sometimes I'm embarrassed in the store. I'm like, I'm buying 15 of these because they're on sale and they're going in my freezer. Um, this is the food that I use and my kids live on meatballs. So it goes in my freezer when the mixed grinds are on sale. <laughs> I buy a lot of them. So basically stocking up when things are cheap um, oh, yeah. and, and cutting back. Like you said, yeah, you know what? You mentioned the food thing. It's interesting because I think like in our lifetime, we've seen like this huge revolution about food in the from community that didn't used to exist. Like growing up on Shabbos, I don't know what other people's Shabbos tables were like, but ours was pretty simple. And I don't think it was very different than other people but then like you know after I got married started eating out at friends and then like slowly over the years it evolved where like the Shabbos table presentations are really really exorbitant and cost a lot of money and I know like I feel that pressure when I host like I have to have a whole menu planned out with lots of different dishes and all these different things put out on the table that like I don't know when we were kids my mom made like chalent and kugel and you know, a couple of basics and we like, we weren't hungry, you know, but that has changed so much and there's a lot of pressure to keep up and that's another huge expense. Right. So there's a social pressure and there's the bar being raised by the sophistication of the advertisements and all the foods that they try to grab your attention and make you want all of it. Right. And it's all not necessary. If you think about how much we eat, we probably, most of us consume way more than our bodies really need. So there's a few ways to cut back. We can cut back on some pounds and we can cut back on some dollars. Because, yeah, it's true. The Shabbos table does not need like 15, I don't know how many what people are eating. You know, even three, even three mains. I mean, how much do we need to eat already? I mean, Shabbos. Okay, it's Shabbos. So people hold Shabbos, so it's different. But but in general, just as a, it's just a thought. It's just like a mindset to think about. Is that it's a mindset about keeping things, keeping things low-key will actually help you in every level, in every area during the week. I just looked up something really quick that I, I was reading about food. You know, there's just a difference in terms of expenses. Cereal, a breakfast, let's say, with cereal and milk versus a protein bar versus, you know, buying a special in the store, right? Or um, eating a tuna sandwich versus eating a tuna salad versus, versus buying a tuna salad. You know, things like that. I actually read something recently. Somebody said that something about there's a bagel tax in New York where, um, if you have it, if if you have the store like slice it and toast it and put things on it, there's an extra tax. Really, so I'm not aware of this tax. I just yeah, I didn't know this <laughs> either. So I read, <laughs> I just read this. So I I I was like, you know, not only is there an extra tax, but they charge you a bloody fortune. Like, okay, if you want a bagel, that's beautiful. You can buy yourself a big thing of butter for the cost of the entire thing. Right. And then you can have butter on your bagel forever, <laughs> you know, um, but it's not as fun because like you have to spread it yourself. <laughs> I know it's really not as fun. It's really not. <laughs> no, but that's your, but you're right. It's about like shifting your mindset and realizing that like, 
yeah, I guess in the long run, like to be so much better off if you cut your own bagel and spread it yourself, you know? Right. And you, I mean, bagel's already a step up. <laughs> right. You can be having I mean, bread for much cheaper look, not for everybody. Right. I think like a lot of it is the convenience factor, right? Like when you talk about things like takeout or just like, oh, you know, I just dropped my kids off at their school. Now I'm hungry. Let me just pop in and buy myself an, a ready-made bagel sandwich, right? Rather than having to think about what I have at home, put together the meal, take the time to prepare it. I'm going to be hungry for an extra half an hour until everything is ready. You know what I mean? So a lot of it is that, you know, easy convenience factor. And I, I wonder if like, you know, I live in New York, so I wonder if like having all of those amenities um, somehow works to our detriment because like people who don't have the ability to just go buy takeout for dinner, if they don't live in a community where that's available, do they wind up saving money in the long run? Maybe that's another pro to living out of town. Right. <laughs> save money because just, there's just nothing offered. There is a sacrifice. There is, there is something that people have to be willing to do in order to, in order to, in order to save money, right? You have to be intentional, like we were saying before. So it is, there's so much convenience to going to the store and just picking up the ready-made bagel. So it's, it's kind of a decision. Like if you want to get into this and you want to be really careful with your money and work towards whatever your goals are, it's a decision that's going to affect you in many, many different ways. So you have to, you have to, a commitment, that's the word, right? It's like a commitment. It's like, you know what? Yes, I'm hungry for that, but I'm going to go home and make it. This is not on my budget. Or on the flip side, you allow yourself some of it, but you create a framework with which to do it in. So you decide that you're allowed, you know, to take out breakfast a week if that fits in with your budget. You know what I'm saying? This is a uh, luxury that's important to you. It's really important to you. You fit it in and you, you fit it in as part of your plan, but it's all about the plan. I know maybe that takes some of the fun out of it. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's like, oh, do I want to use up one of my two for the week today? I don't know. But it's not, um, it's more fun than not having any bagels at all. <laughs> right. True. <laughs> yeah. But no, but your point is well made because like, if you sit down and make a plan, I think that's really the key, right? To make a plan and stick to it, whatever, wherever you may be in life. Right. And if you're going to be really realistic and say, look, we're in Colel, or, you know, we really don't have any income because both of us are in school right now, or we're so tapped out because we're busy paying 10 tuitions then it's about sticking with the fact that there really isn't a lot of room for luxury. But if you're somebody who has a little extra room for luxury and you plan it into your schedule, you know, then you get to enjoy those things too. But then you, you just prevent right. yourself from going overboard. Right. It's just, it's just making a plan and sticking to it so that you can live within your means. Okay. And then and you can still have the things that you want. If, if you can afford it, you can still have some of the things that you want. Right. It's just about, I'm trying to repeat myself. I'm going to be a broken record here. It's just about, it's just about planning it. It's about planning it and making these decisions and then sticking to the decisions that you make. All right. So I think that's really like the bottom <laughs> line of all of this, right? I think we've really got yeah. to the bottom, but it really mm -hmm. goes into so many things. Like I've actually, I've had a few conversations recently with different people on a couple of back episodes about prevention versus treatment, right? Like when it comes to things like your physical health, your mental health, different, just like so many different things in life. If you take a proactive approach, you wind up having an easier time in the long run than if you start trying to figure things out after the damage has been done, right? Like the old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Like it, it sounds like that's really the bottom line here is 
the, the prevention aspect is so key. And, and again, like back to the point that you made earlier about educating like our high school students and stuff to know how to budget and to understand money management. Like this is another thing that kind of gets me that I think might be like an issue in the from community that people specifically don't want to talk about money because there's this um, pressure to present yourself in a certain way and everyone wants to make it look like they're doing really well. No one wants anyone else to know what's going on in their bank account or if they're struggling, it's sort of embarrassing because your neighbor has a new shaitel and like you feel embarrassed that you don't, you know? So in, in like with all that, I think maybe parents don't want to discuss finances with their kids. And I know there's a lot of debate about this. Like I've seen a lot of online conversation, like, should we tell our kids that we're struggling and we can't maybe get them this thing that they like to get this month or, you know, should children feel like, their parents are always financially stable because if they know that there's a struggle, then they're going to feel insecure. So like maybe there's this lack of parents being open about money management with their kids, even up to the point where they're marrying off their kids. Right. And now it's like, they're supposed to support their kids too. And they've never had that conversation and maybe they're struggling as well. Right. So I don't know what goes on that much in terms of people's childhoods, but I do have to say that what we grow up with in terms of our, money impressions whether or not we realize it really affects how we how that translates into our behavior as we, as we get older so you know probably what kids see their parents doing they're going to copy or the feelings that they get are going to affect their behavior there was someone I worked with who I know she did not have a lot growing up and there were there's things that she did that the behaviors that I was helping her with and things that she did that were just showing that that just a reflection, there were a reflection of the fact that you grew up with very little. And I wasn't in a position to point it out to her, but I could really see it. And that's very hard because these are ingrained behavior, ingrained, you know, emotions, ingrained behaviors. I did take another training. I didn't mention it. It was a lot more about, they call them archetypes, like what their type is when it comes to spending, when it comes to money in general. Um, because I do think that there's so much, like money's really a loaded topic. You know what I'm saying? It's very, very loaded. It's very emotional. People really struggle um, in different ways, just either within their marriage, which is another topic, but, you know, because people come in from two different backgrounds and there's just so many different expectations about what money means. You know, for some people, money means you're going to get by me a lot of things. That means you love me, right? And other people are like, no, you have to save it because money means security. You know, there's just so many, there's so many things that money means to people. So, so each child, yes, like they, they grow up, they, they get whatever they get from their parents. They may or may not get an education because their parents may or may not have felt from their background about, you know, how they grew up and how they, their life proceeded when it came to money and whatever they do, they give that over to their children in, in their way. And then two people who have experiences get married and create a whole other culture of money in their family. Yeah. And, you know, there's also that, like, like you see sometimes this rebellious sort of behavior with money. Like I know someone who always resented that, like if their parents ever took them anywhere and there was like a souvenir shop, he never allowed them to get anything because they would always say it's so overpriced. You know, why would you need a, a teddy bear from the Crayola factory? That's $50. I'm not going to buy you any of these overpriced things in the, in the gift shop. So now as a parent, they're always like, oh, I'm going to buy my kids all the fancy things from the gift shop that right. I never got to have as a kid, you know? So like that kind right. of thing plays into it too. <laughs> right, right, right. And all those things are, all those things become factors, whether or not we're conscious of them, they become factors in our own behavior. And then 
you know, and then in our children and so on. <laughs> so interesting. So we, we discussed the, the food aspect of it, right? Um, by the way, just popped into my head, like there's a lot of like these beautifully done like magazines and cookbooks and all this stuff in the from community. But I don't know, like sometimes when I read them, I'm like, wow, this is gorgeous. This recipe is beautiful. But like then there's like this little bit of pressure. Like, do I also have to make these fancy things and like buy a jar of lotus butter, which is like $8 and 50 cents because it's imported from Israel in order to make this dessert. You know what I mean? Like I could have bought a whole dessert for the same price without having to make anything. I don't know. So there is like certain pressures that come across in food that I don't think used to be because we didn't have all these gorgeous magazines back then. But like, what else is another is another area that you think maybe people can think about cutting back on? So I think with Yentif, okay, Yentif, I know it's food still, but I think it's not necessarily cutting back, but it's about the planning when it comes to Yentif. So to me, I look at these expenses and I think we all know that Yentif is coming, right? Yentif comes every year, not just once a year, many times a year, and it's not a surprise, right? Same with registration for school, right? There's an extra expense around, you know, March, April time, registration for your kids. These are things we know are coming. So again, broken record here, I feel that it's all about the planning. So when I teach people budgeting, I have, I call it, people call it, I think, a thinking fund. I call it a non-monthly expense. So things that you're going to purchase that are not every month, but you're going to have to spend money on them, you can plan for them throughout the year. So Yontif, I look at Pesach as, people can look at Pesach as, oh my goodness, April's coming, where am I getting $5,000? Or however much they're planning to spend on Pesach, right? How many, where am I going to get $5,000? Or people can say, Yontif comes, Yontif, Pesach comes every year. How much does Pesach cost me? I'm going to set aside money for it every month of the year. So when Pesach comes, I have a fund, and this is my Yontif fund, and this is what I'm going to keep to. So, I think they are, these are things that are, let's say, that Pesach is unique to the firm community. But, you know, they ran these emails, always talk about holiday spending, planning your holiday spending. Um, they talk about it more, you know, budgeting in December for your holiday, holiday spending. I think in the firm community, most, a lot of us don't have the luxury of waiting until April to budget for holidays, right? Because most of us don't have an extra $5,000 to spend on Pesach this month. So it's not about budgeting only in April. It's about budgeting the entire year for Pesach and for tuition, right? Let's say you have, let's say you have, I'm going to make the numbers easy, right? Two kids, you need registration. Let's say it's $600 each. So that's $1,200. So $100 a month in your monthly budget to pay for your registration. Now, people might say that's a little, some people think that's too much micromanaging. In my opinion, it's called responsible planning because if you don't have it throughout the month, then you're not going to have it in April either. So Somehow or another, you have to figure out how to make this happen. And if you don't have enough throughout the month, then then you know you need to earn more money, right? As opposed to thinking, oh, I'm making it, I'm making it. Everyone's, you know, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing fine. Our budgets are fine. Our money, our finances are fine, except when it comes to April. No, your finances are really not fine, in my opinion. If you were working throughout the year, you only would need to earn a little bit more throughout the whole year to make everything flow smoothly the entire time. Following. Yeah. So then I guess the question, if an individual is like, you know, is finding themselves in that sort of scenario, then the question is, well, are they making enough, but just not spending responsibly? And can they cut back to have that extra pace off money or registration money or whatever it is? 
or are, you know, is there just a lot of people that just aren't cutting yet? Like there's, you know, like the money doesn't come out of thin air, right? Like, are they not bringing enough income home to be able to cover all their expenses and balance their books? So there's, there's, there's just both types of people. There's just all types, right? Some people really aren't. But I think that you only get a really good picture of your expenses when you factor in all those expenses. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need to factor in your We need to factor in anything extra that you know is going to happen, even if it's one time a year, whether it's a family vacation, if you decide that's an absolute necessity for whatever reason. So you just, if you think you're making it, except that you can't pay for your family vacation, then build your family vacation into your entire year's budget. And then if it's not enough, then go out and earn more or cut down, you know, then you have, then you know what you're working with. You have to know your numbers. Right. Well, you know, that, that this goes back to the planning thing as well. But when, if uh, Mm -hmm. someone's finding that, like, you know, let's say they really do a real in-depth analysis and they sit down with you and you're like, well, sorry, but the income to expense ratio just doesn't match up here. Well, then the question is, what are they going to do about it? Right. Like, and that's why I think planning is so important from day one, because this is something that I've always felt and like, it's my humble opinion, but I always feel that from women should be able to, or should look for a career if, if they plan on having a career that they'll be able to work part-time and still make a meaningful contribution to their family income. Because most of us uh, have kids or hope to have kids one day. And so you don't want to be in a position where you're working full, full time and can't spend any time with your kids. But working part-time isn't realistic for a lot of people when they have so many expenses. So when you think about what you're going to do in the future, like, and the entire world is open to, like you said, you had a list of 30 choices, right? Some people might have that or fewer or more, but like, which, like, am I just going to follow my dreams and say like, well, let me, you know, do something that I love to do, but doesn't really bring in that much money. Or am I going to think realistically and say, look, one day I want to only work part-time and still be able to make a decent amount of money, like, what am I going to do? Like, I think that has to be in the plan from day one, because there are very few families that can survive on just one income. Right. It's all about the planning. You have to be able to think ahead, you know, and that's not necessarily always easy. I mean, look, in this, in this, in this world that we live in, the careers that are, you know, marketed, marketed are those types of careers right? The therapies and things like that. The problem that personally I had with it was that it just didn't feel like it was within my skill set. And I didn't want to just do something just for those reasons. You know, that was my personal experience, but a lot of people really do it. They're like, look, being a therapist of of any sort generally allows for a lot of flexibility with a very nice pay. And I do think that that's something that our community is doing right. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of other options too. Like, I think it's so cool that you thought out of the box and got into this. Like, I don't know a lot of people that do this, um, what you do. And then there's also just so many other options. Like, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of options out there that just, you know, require a little thought. But, you know, there are a lot of, from women who are business owners and they, you know, are good at what they do and they are able to sort of fit their business around their their schedule and their family life, whether it means putting in some more work at night or, you know, hiring someone to help them out if they're able to, I mean, then there's no guarantee that your business is going to be successful, but if it's something that you think you can be good at, you know, and put in the time and effort, then realistically, 
you know, you think you can get a return on your investment. Like there's just, there's so many options of what people could do. But like, I also know a lot of people who don't seem to plan well and say like, oh, you know, I'm going to be a preschool Mora's assistant, you know, when I come back from seminary. And then there's not a lot of planning beyond that. And that's wonderful. Like if that's something that you enjoy and you love kids and whatever, but like, eventually there's going to come a time where that's not going to cut it for you. Right. And so then you're going to be struggling with doing shaitals on the side and like, you know, whatever it may be. Now I'm, you know, also working in a store so I could cut, you're going to be tapped out because there's only so much you can stretch yourself. Right. Not easy decisions to make. And some people don't have, just don't have the, don't know to have the foresight. You know, I just think it's a lack of knowledge. Right. And that's again, where that prevention piece comes in. Cause like, organization like Masila is fantastic, helps a lot of people when they need it. But then if there could be a prevention, like you said, going to high schools and talking to people, you know, about different career options and realistically, what can, what kind of money can you make from doing this? And, you know, how can you learn to budget appropriately, whatever, I think that would also go a really long way because expenses don't end. <laughs> no, they're good things. It's a good thing. It is absolutely, but it can be super stressful if it's not yeah. done well. Yeah, like you said. So, anything else you want to add about what you think people should be thinking about when it comes to their money? Um, I would add something else also in terms of the planning that it helps the planning from the beginning and being open about what, how you want your money to look in terms of a relationship can also affect on bias. Um, it's just it's a it's a big me- like again because money is so loaded, it's so emotional. Planning together and working together can really affect a couple, especially as things get a little more difficult. You know, if, if things get a little more stressed, but you're on the same page, you may be able to work those things out better as you be able to work together. Like if you're already starting out working together and you're open about it and you figured it out till now, you may be able to weather it more when things are difficult. So I'm a big fan of, of uh, both a husband and a wife knowing the finances and the family, right? Even if let's say the wife isn't working, she should know. She should also know what's going on. We should be working together. It's not like here's the wife's wallet and the husband's busy. So what? Here's here's the credit card, dear wife, and I'll deal with it. Because then the wife has no concept of what's going on, and suddenly she wants something. The husband says, "Oh, but we can't afford that." Then there's already a tension, right? As opposed to working together, what are our goals? What you know? What's our current situation? What are our goals? Talking about needs versus wants. What are the things we really need? What are the things we really want? You know how. How can we plan for those things really working together? Also, I look at it as a family can can create their financial plan and look at it like a business plan. Make it a little more objective. What's going to work for the, this business? Our family is like our business. We need to make it profitable. How can we work together? What does our business need? You know, things like that to keep things, to take tone down the emotions just a bit because it can be very emotional and plan together. And then again, as, as things progress, if you're on the same page, it can just really keep the peace, hopefully. Yeah. So on that note, do you think that um, couples should discuss how they feel money should be managed before they get married? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I thought about it because I thought about working with engaged couples. But it's possible that that, that because it's, it can be full of tension, it could be like a more of a tension of sorts. It can be something that creates tension. Maybe it's not such a good idea just because when there's that, there's still like a distance. There's just things are not quite, you haven't really made it yet, right? So I, I think it should wait till after. Maybe just some brief discussion. But if there's disagreement, that could hurt things much more 
before they're married than after. But I do think that education would be really good beforehand. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. If you can have like sort of a streamlined education model for yeshivas and school and girls schools, right. For boys schools and girls schools rather, and they're sort of teaching a similar model, then maybe you can have it to the point where a lot of couples already know this because they both learned the same sort of curriculum about money management. Right. They come in with a similar education and they're already like a step up in terms of being on the, on the same page. So it's just about now working out their own personal details. You know, again, personal experience aside. All right. So I think you know what your next step is. You have to create a curriculum and education, start educating uh, high school education. students. So it's funny. So I basically <laughs> do have a webinar, which is, was not geared towards high school. It's really geared towards young couples. Primarily really, really, really teaching the basics. And it's totally free. Like I do it. I do it live. I don't want to do a recorded. Although maybe I, I will one day. But it's focused on teaching these basics that people don't get just because I want people to know that. I just think it's so important. Wow. No, I think that's so generous of you. So how can someone find um, your webinar? Um, so they would just have to email me for when I'm going to do it next. If possible, at some point, I'll just I'll put it up somewhere where they can access it themselves. Right now, they have to just be on it live. Do you um, want to email, email address? Ha- yeah, yeah. It's Khani at KhaniFriedman.com. Khani's with an I. So C-H-A-N-I at Khani. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. So Hani at HaniFriedman.com. And then I'll just keep them on a list. When I'm ready to do another live, I will let them know. Wow, very good. So that's an awesome resource. Thank you for giving that information. And um, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think it's like a really enlightening conversation. You gave some really good, like down-to-earth tips that I think people can really use. Like it's not an easy topic, but like I said in the beginning, it really applies to everybody. Um, no matter if you're like rich or poor or somewhere in between, like everyone's got to live and in order to live, you have to have money and you have to know how to manage it. You have like such a wealth of information and it's so valuable. And I hope that, um, you know, if anybody needs to figure things out, um, you could be like a really good resource to them. And we have your contact info for people to get in touch with you and get on your webinar if they want. And just in general, like, I hope this conversation will help just raise awareness for people and even on their own, they could just make the decision to start, you know, thinking more about how they manage their money and if they need to change their habits. And so I'm sure that um, our listeners will really benefit from this conversation. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Have a great night. Have a good night. Take care.